one case, I, a few former employees had reached out to me saying the company hadn't repurchased their options that they, like they said they would within a certain amount of time. So I asked the company about it. You know, I'm like, I am hearing you're not, you're not doing this like you said you would. And then like a few days later, one of them said, hey, I got my money. And I, and I wonder if it had anything to do with you. So I don't know. I don't want to like give myself too much credit here, but, but certainly like putting that kind of pressure on a company, I mean, that's kind of part of our job too, right? Like they can't just get away with stuff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is the outstanding Marianne Acevedo, senior reporter at TechCrunch, where she's responsible for covering all things fintech, co-hosts the Friday episode of the Equity Podcast, and recently launched a newsletter, The Interchange. In this episode, we discuss why she loves covering the startup world and some tips on how to pitch your story to tech reporters, the summer slowdown and fall bounce back. Deal activity during the summer was definitely slower, but according to Marianne, she's now as busy as ever, yet some things have changed. 2022 has been a hard year for fintech and Marianne has found herself writing some tough stories. What has she learned in the process? The future of tech media, what good journalism really means, and a lot more. Hope you enjoyed this inspiring conversation with Marianne from TechCrunch. Marianne, welcome to the FinTech Leaders podcast. I am absolutely thrilled to be talking to you uh, yet again, uh, although in a new podcast. Uh, How's it going today? Uh, going well. It's great to talk to you. Um, I can't believe it's what been about over a year since we last spoke. Yes. Yeah. Last time we spoke, I was about to wrap up my time at the Wharton FinTech podcast. But, uh, you know, a lot has happened since. And, and both you and I have been very busy uh, mm-hmm. because, I, as I always like to remind myself, there's no such thing as a slow news day in the world of fintech. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. There's no, no such thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and so maybe tell us uh, about your uh, day-to-day and your work over the last six months, because there's been a huge shift from 2021. And, you know, at this point, everyone knows about it. Everyone's feeling it investors, entrepreneurs, and everyone else. Um, So how has it been uh, from your point of view, you know, as a reporter covering tech and fintech uh, going through this this downturn? Um, Yeah, as we all know, 2021 was insane. Um, The volume of deals, the the amount of dollars that were raised by startups, especially in the world of fintech, was like unprecedented. It was crazy. Um, really difficult to keep up with all of it, right? And we may have talked about this last time. I, it was it was something I think we all knew, at least here at, at TechCrunch, we would talk about internally that it just wasn't sustainable. And it it 
was not sustainable. And sure enough, the market shifted, everything changed, and things took a pretty dramatic turn. And, you know, we saw it coming. I don't think we quite expected it to happen as quickly as it did. So from from my perspective as a journalist, it was odd to be covering layoffs all of a sudden when, you know, I used to cover the same companies like nine digit funding deals, you know, just like a year ago. Um, so that, that was kind of a weird shift. But uh, at the same time, I feel like some of it, some of this reset was kind of needed. There was just too much happening last year and, and not, not every startup that raised, I think was really worthy of all the money they raised. And I, I don't mean to sound like condescending. I just think that investors were not um, maybe not doing enough due diligence and were just probably writing way too many checks with, you know, maybe some FOMO going on. Yeah, I think the market agrees with you. So you're not being condescending at all. <laughs> yeah. and, and so you, when we spoke, you, you, you were almost like drinking off of a fire hose because you were getting multiple uh, pitches of, of ideas and, and stories a day. Mm-hmm. Um, did it slow down over the summer? Yeah, I mean, summers are always a little bit slower. We call it summer slowdown. Some summers were slower than others. And this one, thankfully, was. I had a lot going on personally, so it kind of worked out well from that respect. But over the past two, three weeks or so, I mean, it's ramped up and it's like significantly and um, the pitches are just coming fast and furious again. It's just impossible to keep up. I I just can't. And it's it's getting to a point where like I have to I just have to stop looking at my inbox even because I, it's it's taking away from my ability to actually write and report because I'm too busy like trying to respond and get back to this person. I just can't, I can't do that, you know? And so if you pitched me and I didn't respond to you, I'm sorry. I've just, you don't <laughs> understand. There's like hundreds a day flowing in and it's just impossible to respond to everybody. And, and so I'm curious, are you seeing uh, new or different types of business models that are being funded now from the the pitches that you're receiving, the emails, daily emails. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest change uh, that you're seeing from the ones you were getting, call it in 2021? Well, obviously like size of deals are different. Like there were just a lot of massive rounds last year. Um, not seeing so many of those, like in the nine digit range, for example, is pretty rare these days. Um, and I, I think we're seeing a lot, I feel like I'm seeing a lot more early stage lately, a lot more early stage fundings. And I think in general, I mean, there are certain, certain sectors that remain pretty hot and have stayed resilient, you know, like infrastructure payments or is always like a big space. I've, I've been seeing a lot of insurance technology like coming in lately, you know, and that sector is certainly at its ups and downs. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and and I see it from my end uh, as a VC investor. Also, the, there's a lot more excitement for B two B businesses, and I, I think mm-hmm. we're talking today on on the day uh, the the Figma acquisition. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and, and you know that is fr- from a business point of view and as an investor, that's as good as it gets, right? Because right, it's right. recurring revenue, B two B, you know, uh, uh, sticky business. So. 
uh, everyone's looking for those, mm-hmm. um, but it's not always possible. It's not always possible. And we have some amazing businesses in the fintech space, particularly ones that are credit driven. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's not as as predictable as you'd like. Right. Always. Um, how about from you? You you spend a lot of time talking to founders, but you mm-hmm. also spend a lot of time talking to venture capitalists um, all over the world. Uh, what what are you hearing from them? I feel like the yeah to use this word, but like the power sort of shifted. You know, last year founders had a lot of I guess leverage. <laughs> you know, and and they could demand more in terms of terms regards to the deals and things like that. And this year is just very different. And in some in your VCs, I, I, I don't I'm not lumping you in in this category necessarily, but there has even been some speculation that maybe like some VCs, you know, are not unhappy about the way things are because now they get some of the power back, right? And you know, they have a little more. Um, a little more leverage when it comes to making the deals and terms and all that. So, you know, I mean, I have heard some terrible things, though, from founders, like um, some investors pulling term sheets, things like that, when, and kind of at the last minute, leaving them scrambling for various reasons. So, you know, there's there's been some, some actually unfortunate stories, you know, that I've heard. And I, I don't know, I think VCs are just saying they're, they're being more discriminating overall. Yeah, yeah. And and so you when you're working on a story, you of course talk to the founders, talk to the investors. Has the type of questioning that you follow have, has that shifted? Are there some questions that you find yourself asking uh mm-hmm. now that you perhaps weren't as much before? Yeah, I always ask now, like, when did you actually close this deal? Because sometimes people wait like seven, eight months right. before they announce it, you right. know? So Where was like, it priced? Yeah. Right. Because, like, I interviewed a company today. I'm like, oh, so when did you raise? Oh, it was February. I'm like, oh, that was seven months ago. Okay. You know, like, wonder, would you have raised that money today? I don't know. But, um, yeah, I do ask that now for one thing, um, and I and I ask how you know how difficult it was to raise, uh, especially if they've raised before, like compared to previous rounds, that and that kind of thing. A, a lot of we always ask about valuation, of course, and you know a lot of founders don't like to share evaluation, um, and I think there are fewer up rounds, certainly. Mm, yeah, 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 no one likes to share that mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Although this day and age, you know, it's, uh, I think investors are going to be, and the audience, a lot more forgiving and understanding. Yeah. If that's the case. It shouldn't be too hard on companies who are, are still raising, even if it's flat, a flat round. And um, I've been seeing like companies raising about the same as they did in their previous round. You know, typically it's like this upward trajectory in terms of dollars raised. I've been seeing more deals where like a series C is pretty close to what a company raised in their series B, for example. And you know what, that's not such a bad thing. I don't think that's people should take that as a negative. Uh, If a company decides what they don't want to take on more capital, that's fine. There's really actually nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. But you know, but people take certain things different ways. Yeah, I I have to ask you, Marianne, because not only do you cover fintech, but also uh, Latin America is, is part of your mandate. And of course, that is uh, uh, close to my heart, uh, absolutely, uh, the whole Latin American region. So 
what differences are you seeing between your work with um, you know LATAM versus uh, the U.S.? Hmm. Uh, well, I have to say, first of all, unfortunately, I don't think I haven't really had the time to cover Latin America as much as I did last year because I've I've moved more into a kind of exclusive fintech beat. Um, so I have to I have to limit as as much of, a little bit of the fintech or sorry Latin coverage. I, I feel like deals have slowed down there though as well. Um, you know, just like everywhere in the world. So, but they're still happening and there's still growth and there's still excitement in the region. And, and that's, that's a great thing. So I don't, I think the region is going to continue to thrive and attract venture dollars from, from all over the world, but it's, it certainly hasn't been immune to the slowdown. Yeah. Well, one thing I, I wanted to ask is, is a, uh, something we didn't really talk about last time. And it's about the, the evolution and the future of tech press and and you are a protagonist in that world but um at least in the world of fintech over the last couple of years we've seen some amazing writers uh launch their newsletters uh, and and start kind of doing some call it modern uh investigative reporting um and and, and so from from your point of view tell us how, how you're seeing the evolution of the tech press and, and kind of where do you see it going? That's, a, that's an interesting question. I, I feel like you're right. I mean, there's fintech is, there's a lot of people out there who are writing about fintech. Um, and like to your point, they're not all necessarily journalists or writing for a specific publication. There are people who just really were very interested in it and just started their own thing. And they're actually doing very well, you know, lots of lots of subscribers, you know, sponsorships, things like that. And I say kudos to them. And there's, there's certainly, it's a large enough industry and, and globally, so there's room for plenty of players here. I don't know. I honestly, I don't, I try not to think too much about like my competition per se. You know, I just kind of am focused on doing my own thing. And, and I think we all have respect for one another, like all of us who are covering fintech, whether you're a journalist for like Bloomberg or, um, protocol, or if you're just someone who has a newsletter because you're super excited about the, you know, the industry, there's a lot of respect there. I think we all respect each other and, and read each other's work. In terms of the future, I think tech journalism has a bad rep. I'm not so sure why, you know, I don't know why, like there was a, a time there where like, there was like press versus tech or something like that, you know, like there was a lot of tension. I can't speak for everybody else. I just know at TechCrunch we're we are very dedicated to just covering covering the news as um, as thoroughly and as transparently and as deeply as we you know as we can. We just want we want to do a service for our readers. We're not you know I, we honestly don't contrary to what people may think. We're not just sitting there like oh we want to beat this publication or that publication. We just want to do good journalism, right? We want to report things that our readers want to read and need to read. I'm fortunate to work with a, a very smart, talented group of people who are very good at what they do. So I don't know. I feel like I'm a little bit in a, in a bubble, to be honest. And I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned you want to do good journalism. How, how do you define good journalism? Yeah, I mean, I think good journalism is not just covering like all the positives, right? Like, oh, this funding around, oh, new unicorns. Like, I mean, that's all great and it's important, but it's not all that's happening. There's unfortunately the ugly side of, of what's happening in the startup world. There's layoffs, there's shitty CEOs doing shitty things to employees. And we can't ignore that, right? Like, and, and it's, 
I've actually, um, I learned a lot like covering the better.com stuff. Some of these employees saw us journalists as kind of advocates for them, you know, and I don't think, I mean, we're not necessarily setting out to, to do that. It's just kind of how things happen. I do know that in one case, I, a few former employees had reached out to me saying the company hadn't repurchased their options, but like they said they would within a certain amount of time. So I asked the company about it. You know, I'm like, I am hearing you're not, you're not doing this. Like you said you would. And then like a few days later, one of them said, Hey, I got my money. And I, and I wonder if it had anything to do with you. So I don't know. I don't want to like give myself too much credit here, but, but certainly like putting that kind of pressure on a company. I mean, that's kind of part of our job too, right? Like they can't just get away with stuff. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it's also, it can be uncomfortable, I imagine, because in many cases you've interviewed the mm-hmm. founder mm-hmm. when it was on the way yeah. up, right? And, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, then, <laughs> and, and now, I mean, I'm guessing you're, they're not always getting on the phone with you, mm-hmm. but um, when they are, how, how do you get around, you know, asking those very, very uncomfortable questions? Well, no. So I interviewed um, Better CEO like at a, at a virtual event two years ago, charismatic seemed like, you know, really nice guy. And so now when I have these questions about what's going on with the company, I don't get to talk to him. I, I have to go through PR and comms and there's no interviews anymore. I interviewed him multiple times, you know, so that's what happens. Usually they just refer you to PR. <laughs> fair enough. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Uh, you, so speaking of evolution of tech, you, you've launched your own newsletter, um, The Interchange, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> great name for fintech. So uh, what have you learned since, since, and it's about six months or so since you started doing it, maybe more. Mm-hmm. I had a soft launch, I think it was February, like kind of doing just a column for a week, uh, every week, sorry. And, and soft launch is like three months or so. And then formally launched May 1st, we agonized over the name. I agonized over the name, like trying to come up with something catchy, interesting, fitting. Um, finally, it was Alex Wilhelm, my, my colleague and Equity Pod co-host who thought of the interchange. We just went went with that. Anyway, it's, it's a lot of work to put together that newsletter every week. But it's good because it just gives me an opportunity to do more like analysis, connecting the dots. I see themes like I I can tie things together more like in a given week. I'm like, oh, there was actually two deals that were in this space. What does that mean? You know, taking a bigger picture look. And I think that's really important. And for readers, that's important because just covering deals like one off that's good. It's certainly interesting, but I think it's more beneficial for people who are interested in an industry for someone to kind of put it all together and try to make sense of it, like in a bigger picture wise. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do this week. For example, though, I mean, my God, I was just bombarded with pitches. I mean, I just so many. So this week's newsletter is going to be probably very long and uh, I couldn't get everything in it that I would have wanted to, but it's going very well so far. Like we have a, um, a lot of subscribers and good open rates. So I, I can't complain. And if you are subscribed, thank you. Thank you so much for reading. So so that's part of the audience reaction. Obviously, the reads, opens and subscribers. How about other types of 
of reactions that that you've gotten? Oh yeah. So earlier this week, I was I was excited, and and I think this just proves to people like journalists we get we get like a little starstruck too because of Financial Times, which recently started its own fintech newsletter, included last week's edition of mine as part of their recommended reading, and you know. I got excited by that. I was like, so cool. I mean, Financial Times is very well respected. And, you know, I felt like it was a milestone for me to be recognized by such a prestigious publication in the world of finance. That's awesome. That's awesome. Congrats about that. Um, and, and you're also podcasting. So uh, I've, I've definitely tuned in uh, several times and I enjoyed you and, and the crew. Um, tell us about that experience. Well, yeah, I was hesitant at first to uh, to start podcasting. I'm not a person who generally generally likes to be the center of attention, but you know, it's it's a lot more fun than I expected. I it does a few things for me. One, it kind of pushes me to read more things on our site that I might have otherwise not have seen. I and mean, we publish a lot of articles on TechCrunch, and you know, I miss I unfortunately do miss a lot of the news sometimes. And um, so we talk about a wide variety of subjects. And so it just pushes me to get out of my fintech zone a little bit and and read about other stuff that's happening. And that's important, right? Because even I think covering fintech, it's important to be aware of what else is going on in other other industries and other sectors. So that's great. Um, And then, you know, Alex and Natasha and I used to work together at Crunchbase News. So I've worked with them for, for years off and on. And we have a great relationship personally, professionally. So we just have a great time. I really enjoy it more than I ever expected. Awesome. awesome. And you're going to be doing some live sessions as well, right? Yeah, we'll be at Disrupt next month. TechCrunch Disrupt, October 18th through the 20th in San Francisco. So if you're in the area, come come visit. And yeah, we're going to do a live podcast, I think the morning of the 18th. Awesome. So mm-hmm. Marianne, before I let you go, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, both what you like about tech reporting and what could be better. And then we can talk also about what can uh, the ecosystem be doing uh, to, to, I guess, make your work easier or, or work in an even smoother way with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, I've been covering startups for tech. Uh, I mean, it started in the late 90s doing this, covering dot-com boom and, and bust. And then over the years, you know, just been covering tech and startups off and on. Um, I would say the thing that gets me most excited about it is startups to me just represent hope, really. Like, you know, there's not every startup makes it, of course, um, and not every not every startup has like necessarily super honorable intentions. You know, maybe a lot of them just founders just want to make just want to make money, and that's that's fine too, right? Like, but I feel like there's a lot of potential, right, for startups to change the world and do amazing things to help to help people and help. So so cliche and idealistic sounding, but really to make the world a better place and to help people, whether it be through health, through finances, uh, and other ways, just you know have have better lives. So that's those are the kinds of stories I get most excited about. You know, we're we're really doing things to help others or help improve or you know open up access or things like that that's the stuff that gets me excited and so that's why i'm not a i'm not a very technical person to be frank i'm not a person who even digs super deep into the actual technology when i cover startups i i'm more interested in things like why a founder started the company did they have a personal experience that led them to do it 
you know, what they're hoping to accomplish, how, how many people is going to impact that kind of thing is, is not, I mean, of course the technology is interesting, but we're not, we're not a super technical publication. That's not my goal is to sit there and break down every aspect of the technology, but you know, just positive impact. I think that's what gets me excited about tech. That's awesome. And, and so from, from all the people that are pitching you stories and VCs, founders, you name it, yeah. what could they be doing better? I mean, I, it's hard to say. I, I don't know. I think the repeat e- emails get to be overwhelming. Like if I, if I haven't responded to you after a couple of times, like stop, you know, it's, I get a lot of like people just following up on this. Hey, did you get this? What did you think of it? It's not like once, twice, but like repeatedly. And it's just, it's overwhelming. And I, and I have an auto response and I specifically say, like, if I haven't gotten back to you after a couple of emails, you know, assume I'm not interested. Sometimes I'll forward things to other writers or reporters. I don't have time to like tell you that I've done that always, but I do. If I think this is not really up my alley, I would say the number one suggestion I have to people is research before you pitch. I get a lot of pitches for things that topics I don't really cover, you know, like AI or health tech or just, you know, I mean, I'm a fintech writer. And so do your research, people. Like, don't don't be pitching reporters on subjects that they don't cover. You're wasting their time. You're wasting your time and clogs up our inbox. Then we don't get to see, like, the really relevant pitches because there's just too much going on. So, like, if you're going to pitch, make sure you're targeting the right people. Sum up very succinctly what the news is, why it matters, who's involved, the basics, who, what, when, where, why. Make the subject line enticing and just, you know, don't overwhelm. You know, there's there's a fine line between being persistent and being annoying. You know, quite frankly, and you don't want to you don't want to cross it, right? Like, I understand you want coverage, or you know, you really want to get a reporter's attention, but you, you've got to be careful. And I've also had a lot of kind of unreasonable asks lately from founders that are just a little bit too much, like with regards to links in an article or placement of photos and things like that. Like, you know, don't do that. You know, we're not, you're not paying for this coverage. It's not an ad. It's not a sponsored post, like respect. <laughs> that's all I'm asking. That's, that's really good feedback. And I, I hope that people take it to heart. Um, what last question you mentioned that, you know, obviously sometimes people are doing it just for the money or, or you know, it's not always a super noble cause, but that's okay. When you're talking to a founder, can you tell? Can, can you like, does it, does it come across? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I think we've all, it's easy maybe to perhaps, there are charismatic people in the world, right? And then, you know, they can come across a certain way. I think it is, over time, it's become a little easier to, you can feel authenticity, you can feel a true passion when someone's talking about what they're doing, why they're doing it, when you can kind of just hear in a person's voice when there's when there's something really from inside that's motivating them. Um, and again, you know, it, if, if it's not like some personal mission or cause, you know, that's fine. It doesn't make it uh, less important or a bad thing, but but certainly you can you can kind of tell when it's it's more of like a this passion thing, and you can and you can feel authenticity. And we talk all the time internally too. I mean, we all are drawn to founders who are who are more humble. Um, even like we've you know you talk to founders who have companies worth 
in billions and they still talk to you in a very humble way and they don't brag and they're polite and things like that, you know, and, and that's like, we really appreciate that. Like people just still being down to earth. I mean, we all get really turned off by arrogance and just, you know, people who, who feel like they have to show off or things like that. You know, I mean, we can tell. Love it. Well, Marianne, uh, cannot thank you enough for joining. Uh, this is this has been great, as always. I'm I'm sure people are going to learn a lot, um, and uh, I hope uh, you get a few more subscribers after this podcast goes live. Uh, and 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 thanks for you know informing us on on what's going on in the industry. Uh, it's uh, it's always great work, and um, we're all going to continue to read. Uh, thank you for everything you do. It's uh, always, always great to talk with you, Miguel. So I'm, I'm honored to be your guest. Thank you, Ryan. Have a good day. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode with Marianne Acevedo, senior reporter at TechCrunch. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, please drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.